Hello, and welcome to 5 Minutes in Martial Arts History. Well, actually, it's going to be more like 10 minutes in martial arts history today. On this day, in 1528, in Shandong province, in the town of Lu Chiao, was born to the commander-in-chief of the Dongzhou garrison a son, Qi Ji Guang. His family had a long history of military tradition, with an ancestor being an important military leader under the Hongwu Emperor, the founder of the Ming Dynasty. The family had been given the hereditary post at Dengzhou Garrison as a reward. It is said that Jing Tong, the father of Ji Chuang, had been a martial arts expert and a good general. Ji Guang apparently, like so many other children, played games imitating what he saw the adults around him doing. There are anecdotes about him building fortresses from clay and broken bricks while playing mock war games with his friends and himself as the general. At the age of 17, Ji Guang's father died, and as was the custom of that time, the young man took over the leadership of the Dengzhou garrison. In the immediate years after, he strengthened the naval defenses of his garrison and led his troops against Mongol raiders. During the Ming Dynasty, there were civil government and military exams, and at the age of 22, Qi Ji Guang headed off to the capital to take part. It's important to note that as the inheritor of a hereditary position, I don't think there was very much concern about him passing. The military exams at this point in the Ming Dynasty were known to have been neglected, and it was not uncommon for civil officials to be appointed to the highest military positions, with the actual military officials being relegated to relatively lower-level military ranks. It was also not uncommon for the military officials to be viewed with distrust by the civil government, who actively sought to undermine the military leader's efficiency and power. In fact, the tests that occurred during military exams often had little bearing on the actual qualities of a commander. Military degrees were considered inferior to civil degrees, and did not carry the same prestige. As an example, the names of the civil official position of Jinshir were carved in marble, whereas the military Jinshir were not. While the military and civil services were imagined in Chinese political philosophy as the two wheels of a chariot, in practice, the military examination degree was highly regarded by neither the army or the rest of the nation. Qi Ji Guang was one of the few exceptions. When he arrived to participate in his imperial military exam, the troops of the Mongol, Altin Khan, broke through from the north and laid siege to Beijing. Fear and desperation create opportunities in entrenched corrupt governments, and the candidates for the military exams were mobilized to defend the nine gates of Beijing. Qi Ji Guang twice submitted defense proposals to the emperor, and was noted to have displayed extraordinary valor and military cunning during the battle, and saw the defeat of the invaders. Three years later, in 1553, Qi Ji Guang received a promotion to defend Shandong province's coastal regions. At this time, there was a continual threat of what was known as Wukou pirates. If you've ever watched any period films made in mainland China, you'll know that the government likes to portray these as solely Japanese pirates. However, history makes it quite clear that these pirates not only included Japanese, but Portuguese and other Southeast Asians, and were mostly made up of Chinese individuals. The corruption in the government was apparent, as Qi Ji Guang had now been tasked with the defense of Shandong's coast with, on paper, 30,000 troops, when in actuality, there were only 10,000 troops. Of those 10,000, most were old and weak, 
as the ones who were young and strong enough had deserted to make better money elsewhere. The troops that remained lacked both training and discipline, and the constructed defenses were crumbling from years of neglect. Two years later, he was sent to Zhejiang, to the south, where the Wukou problem was particularly bad. Together with two other generals, he led them to victory over the pirates, but was rewarded for his efforts with a demotion when his detractors spread rumors and slander about him. With the Zhejiang problem solved, he returned to improving his Shandong situation. He recruited miners and farmers, who he believed to be more honest and hardworking than the average person, and set about drilling and training them as soldiers. He also built a large number of naval vessels to be used against the pirates. The years that followed found General Qi Jiquang defeating the pirates wherever he could find them. He eradicated their strongholds, and after winning repeated victories, Qi Jiquang established quite a name for himself as the guy to go to if you had a pirate infestation problem. After his success with the pirates, Qi Jiquang was appointed to train the Imperial Guard. However, the Mongol threat from the north, which consisted of remnants of the former Yuan dynasty, had never really gone away, and so he was later sent north to handle that problem. Qi oversaw the repair on portions of the Great Wall and directed the construction of watchtowers along the wall. After two years of work, more than 1,000 watchtowers were completed, giving the defensive capability in the north a great boost. In the winter of 1572, Qi also conducted a month-long military exercise involving more than 100,000 troops. Based on his experience with the exercise, he wrote the Records of Military Training, the Lianbing Shiji, which became an invaluable reference for military leaders after him. During the 1570s, another Mongol army invaded the Ming territory. Qi Jiguang's troops defeated them many times and captured the chieftain's younger brother. When the chief brought his nephew and 300 clansmen to beg tearfully for mercy at the outpost, Qi Jiguang accepted their surrender. This Mongol chief released captives from his previous plunders and vowed to never invade Zhejiao again. Unfortunately, General Qi Jiguang's story does not have a happy ending. In early 1583, as a result of palace intrigue, Qi was relieved of his duties. His wife left him soon after, and he spent the rest of his years in poverty and ailing health. He died in January of 1588 at the age of 59. Qi Guang documented his ideas and experience in the form of two books on military strategy, the Ji Xiao Xin Shu and the Lian Bing Shi Ji. The Ji Xiao Xin Shu is also one of the earliest existing East Asian texts to address the relevance of Chinese martial arts with respect to military training and warfare. While the majority of the text addresses topics like tactics, formations, communication, and the use of infantry, including firearms, towards the end he included a chapter on unarmed training. He makes himself quite clear about the place of unarmed martial training, as he begins the chapter with, Unarmed methods have no use in war, but the movements are good for strengthening the body. This is the door for beginners. He does acknowledge that unarmed training is useful both for improving physical fitness and the confidence of one's troops. He also makes the point that all other weapons training in his time was built off the foundation of a strong unarmed practice. He then goes on to outline 32 postures that are to be used in training, set in verse like poetry or a song. Have you ever found it easy to remember an advertisement jingle? On a similar principle, when training largely illiterate troops, 
The use of a song during training was helpful for getting one's troops to memorize and remember concepts. This does, however, complicate translation, as the descriptions are poetic and often open to interpretation. One of the more interesting translations of this work was recently released by Jack Chen of ChineseLongsword.com, wherein he attempts to describe and relate the principles contained in General Qi Jiguang's unarmed chapter to modern combatives and other martial arts. I highly recommend it if you're interested in trying to understand Qi Jiguang's work. You can find it at www.chineselongsword.com fist. I'll include a link in the show notes. There's another quote of his that I particularly like. If you have acquired some skill, you must test it on an opponent. Do not be proud of a win or shamed at a loss. Instead, think, why did I win? Or, why did I lose? Then, train more and test yourself again. This is important, in my opinion, because it frames a critical training mindset that can apply to any martial artist. Chi Ji Guang makes the point that you must test your training against a resisting opponent. Then further, when we spar, roll, or otherwise engage in some form of competitive training, it's important to not think too highly of a win or be particularly upset about a loss. What's important is to use the experience to further our understanding of why that win or loss occurred. This experience then feeds back into our training process, and the cycle repeats with further training, testing, and more training in a kind of feedback loop for the martial arts. These ideas might sound like someone from the 21st century talking about modern combatives training, but remember, these are the conclusions and training recommendations of one of the most successful Ming Dynasty era generals from nearly 500 years ago. The work of General Qi Qi Guang should be a reminder that there are people before us who have put in a lot of blood, sweat, and hard work to discover martial principles that remain just as true today as they were in the past. While the context and language can take some work, it's worth the effort of trying to understand it, else we keep reinventing wheels. This has been 5 Minutes in Martial Arts History.